much love. Guess who's back? Back again. It's Ravage Love Season 3. Hi, Julie. Hello. Are you, uh, are you building a new house or something? <laughs> yeah. No, my dog's <laughs> chewing a little doggy bone there. Hey, come here. Come here. Give me your bones. You keep talking. You talk there for a second, girl. I'm gonna get this bone. <laughs> it's season three of Ravage Love, and we're so excited to be back with more spicy stories that um, plumb the depths of niche romance and erotica. And mm. we're starting up season three in the month of February, which means what, Renee? Black History Month. Hells yeah. So all month of February, we are going to be reading books by Black authors. In my case, they're all Black women authors. Uh, super excited to bring you a bunch of really amazing, sexy stories this week. And this week, we did things a little bit differently. So for longtime listeners of the show, you know that we usually read two different books on the same theme. This time, we both read two books by the same author author we did so renee tell the people about selena montgomery so selena montgomery has written eight romance novels and she wrote her very first one in her third year at yale um simultaneously while writing her master's thesis called uh devolution discord resolving operational dissonance with the ubit exemption which is obviously she's smart she's real smart um so Selena wrote her last book in 2009, but she's written eight books and <clears throat> she decided she wanted to write books that um, represent, you know, that, that showed black women in that context, because as we both know, there's a serious lack of diversity in the romance genre, um, which we're only talking about now. Um, but, you know, she was doing this back <clears throat> in the early 2000s. So um, what did she say? She says, you know, that it's an, writing is an integral part of who she is and that um, her characters are really complex because not like not only obviously black women, but anybody reading it can relate to these women. They can see themselves in these stories and she's creating these really intelligent, um, adventurous, cunning women in her stories and they're romantic and they're sexy and it's just good all around. So um the neat thing about Selena Montgomery, though, is that she has an alter ego, um, which I think you did a little bit of research about. Yeah. So I don't know if um, any of you have heard about Stacey fucking Abrams. Yeah. Mm. Stacey Abrams, who um, served for 11 years in the Georgia House of Representatives in the U.S. And in 2018, she became the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia. And when she didn't win... She didn't just sit in her resentment. She took her brilliant brain and was like, cool, I'm just going to do like an uprising through civil society. And I'm going to challenge the fact that there has been historic and current voter suppression in the state of Georgia, particularly targeting black folks um, and folks who live in like basically racialized people who live in over criminalized communities where if you're criminalized, you know, you lose the capacity to vote. So she basically took her defeat to be the Democratic nominee for um, for in the U.S. and took it to the people, and as a result, uh, 
this week it was announced that there is a strong, credible push for her to be nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize because she turned the state of Georgia blue um, through an absolutely phenomenal community, like grassroots uprising of trying to and succeeding in fighting voter suppression and getting folks engaged in the in the the democratic process in the U.S. So Stacey Abrams is like will probably be like Times Person of the Year, to be honest. Like it's yeah. she had more of an important impact on the election than Kamala Harris, than Joe Biden. Like just a brilliant, brilliant community organizer who, yeah, was not only the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia in 2018, but is the first black woman and the first Georgian period ever to deliver a response to the State of the Union. Extremely yes. influential woman. Uh, and besides all that, yeah, writes romance, but also loves TV and pop culture, which I love. I love that she's just like shamelessly about it and especially sci-fi. So this week we thought we have to read, we both have to read two books. Like we both have to read something by Selena Montgomery. The woman is an icon and it's Black History Month. It's perfect opportunity to also show, you know, a lot of people were just so pumped by what she did that they were like, how can we support her? Like, what is she doing? Buy her books. She has, her books. Yeah. she has eight romances. Um, she also has nonfiction that she's written about the political process in the US. But like as a Canadian, that interests me less, frankly. But throw your money at her romance books because I am here to tell you, and Renee, back me up mm-hmm. or don't, mm-hmm. but it was fucking good. Her book was, it was so good. It was so well written. It might be one of the best well-written romances yeah. we've read throughout this series like period i would say it's definitely in the top three um i also wanted to add though like while she was busy turning georgia blue she was also writing a suspense novel of course she was political fucking thriller called while justice sleeps it's out in may um which i just had i was like i gotta read this book so yes it was like it was like reading a movie it was so well written it was so well written and it's it falls so the books that we read um, fall under the category of romantic suspense or suspenseful mm. romance, which I only realized, I think this might be like the second book we've read in that genre. I don't hate it. Definitely had like a John Grisham meets um, like a rom-com writer kind of a vibe to it. So it definitely had, you could tell this is a woman who was a lawyer who has seen the inside of a courtroom. All of the legal kind of components felt very authentic, very real. Uh, and just the writing was solid. So mm-hmm. what we discovered, though, <laughs> is we didn't do this on purpose, but Renee and I read the first two books in a trilogy. So how we're going to do yeah. things this week, usually I give my book, we kind of talk about it, then we do Renee. We're actually just going to go one right after the other because my story ends right where Renee's begins. So I read the first in the trilogy. So... I'm just going to get right into it. How's that Let's sound? Let's do it, but I'm dying. I'm dying to actually know what happens before my book. <laughs> yeah, because it must have been so frustrating to be like, they're making reference to things that I don't know. So I, uh, the first book in the series is called Reckless. And because it's a romance with a very sexy cover, I really read it as Reckless. Uh, so reckless. just like, reckless. so just, just hear it as that. So it really hits the ground running. The book, uh, so this book was written in 2008. Um, and as we said, it's the first uh, book in a trilogy. And it hits the ground running. So first page, 
there is a warehouse on fire. There are three young black women who are running away from the scene with a backpack. They open up the backpack, see that there's $300,000 in it. There's alluding to some sort of murder that happened at the warehouse. The warehouse is on fire and they are just trying to figure out what their game plan is. You realize there are three young black women who lived in what could only be described as like an orphanage, but it was run by a really lovely older woman who cared deeply for them. And so they are running away, feeling like they are fugitives. They have no power in the world, but they got a bag with $300,000. So they decide to split the money amongst the three of them, flee to different parts of the country or different parts of the world, like leave and only communicate with each other four times a year, once on each of their birthdays, and then once on the anniversary of the fire. So that's the start. Then you fast forward and you discover that one of the women, so her name is Kel, is now a very high powered defense attorney with a 90% success rate. She's a star. Every time there's a trial, she's interviewed. The media loves her, people love her. She cuts a great figure in a great suit, is a power, powerful, powerful defense attorney who is really seen as just will do whatever she needs to do to get the case done. Uh, And if it involves a high powered celebrity client, the better. So while representing one of her celeb clients that she gets off on charges, even though everyone, including her, knows he's as guilty as sin, she gets a phone call from Mrs. Faraway saying, I need your help. Now, Mrs. Faraway was the woman who ran the orphanage that Kel came from. And Mrs. Faraway has not spoken to Kel in almost 20 years. And all of a sudden she calls her and says, I need your help. I think I'm going to be accused of murder. Da da da. So she drives from Georgia where she's based to this small town to meet up with Mrs. Faraway. And in doing so, on her way there, she's pulled over in her incredible Porsche 911, which I respect, Mm -hmm. is pulled over by a super hot but super cocky cop who uh, basically they start kind of right from the jump hating each other, but also being like, damn, you're fine. Damn, you're fine. But oh, I hate you. And that really sets the tone for the book. It's very much a love, hate, love, hate, love, hate relationship between the two of them. Well, it turns out that Mrs. Kell is worried she's going to be accused of murder because a man named Clay, who used to be at the orphanage, who she kicked out as one of the only people she ever kicked out of the orphanage, is found dead. And he was stabbed with a knife that she got a you know, a block of knives from a fancy chef that really cared about the orphanage. And so they're very unique knives. And so she is like, okay, either they're going to think I did it or they're going to think one of the children in the orphanage did it. And so she hides the knife and is like, I'm just waiting for them to figure out that someone in this house is involved. Please, please help me. Kel is like, there's no way this woman stabbed a man to death and there's no way any of these children would do it because Kel's knew from personal experience that Mrs. Faraway ran a real tight ship. So none of those kids would get into it. And thus begins the cat and mouse back and forth between her and the sheriff. It turns out the man who pulled her over was a sheriff. He's new in town and he is investigating this murder of a man who was found killed in a motel 
can't really understand motive. It's really confusing because it's a rundown motel, but he had a beautiful car and a beautiful TV in the hotel room and a beautiful Xbox and like all these video games and nice clothes. So they don't really understand why he was living in this shoddy motel. And Cal ends up getting suckered into kind of going on a date with him once because it's like clearly there's a bit of banter, but she treats it as I'm going to go out on a date with him just to kind of get some intel from him because at this point he doesn't know that she's back in town to help Mrs. Faraway. At this point, Mrs. Faraway is not a suspect and Kel is just pretending that, oh, I just, you know, was just, haven't been here in a while, thought I would come. So her intent is I'm going to go out on a date on you just to get some dirt on you. Well, it turns out they love each other. There's sparks, there's chemistry, but it's just like, no, I can't. I'm an attorney. You're a cop. We'll be seen as compromising each other's relationships. But really it's because Kel was abandoned by her parents when she was seven. She put up a wall around her. She just like won't let people in. And this is how it goes on for the whole book. It's just sort of trying to figure out who in fact killed Clay. Why did Clay get killed? But the complexity is that it comes out that this Clay guy who died was uh, at one point gave a statement to police saying that he saw three young women and named the women running away from a warehouse fire that happened years before. And so now the sheriff is like, hmm, weird that this guy ends up dead and all of a sudden you come to town. So then she's a suspect and they just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So it really is captivating the whole time. I'm trying to figure out who actually killed Clay and why you discover that the old police chief is super shady and he wants to get elected because in the States you elect sheriff. So he's like trying to get reelected to come back to the community. You find out he was forced to leave the community because he was being sketchy. Like there's all of those kinds of subtext going on. And throughout there's this love relationship where they like kiss a few times and then they like want to fuck, but then they're like, no, we can't. Or it's interrupted. Finally, at one point they just say, fuck it and have sex. And it's lovely and spicy um, but then they continue to play this cat and mouse game until the end when it's, you know, the big courtroom scene, like so many, um, you know, legal thrillers are. And yeah. Kel manages to get Mrs. Faraway acquitted, which is amazing. So charges are dropped against her. But then shots ring out in the parking lot of the courthouse and everyone ducks for cover. <laughs> and no one knows what's going on. And all of a sudden the police chief that was sketchy like flees in a car and so no one knows what's going on and i'm like oh my god oh my god there's only like three pages left how is this gonna end and it ends on a fucking cliffhanger which is they don't know who killed clay they don't we have no idea what actually happened at that warehouse so i still have no clue what kel did with that fire that made everything happen um and we don't we just know that kel and luke who's the sheriff uh have declared that they love each other they're both like broken people with high walls, but they're like, we're going to do whatever we can to make it work. But also um, our lives might be in danger. So let's put our romance on the back burner and try to figure out what the fuck is going on in our town. And then it ends. <laughs> and then picks wow. up with your book. I have answers. Oh, I'm so excited right now. I got your fucking answers. Oh, oh I'm so excited. Oh. So my book opens just like yours, 1991. Um, right now, my, my protagonist is Finn, who is kind of like the foster sister best friend of Cal and their other foster sister best friend, Julia. 
So Finn is the eldest of the three and she is 17 going on 18 and she wants to get the fuck out of Halden. Um, but Mrs. F who in my book is Faraday. Oh, maybe not Faraway. Oh, maybe I, oh, maybe um, I just, because they called her Mrs. F a lot too. So they, yeah. they only used her full name a few times. Maybe I got it wrong. My bad. It probably, okay. it probably is the same. <laughs> I was just like, oh my god, yeah. So uh, Mrs. F has um, caught Finn sneaking in at the end of the night and is like, what are you doing, girl? Like, you know, you're going to ruin your future, you know, all of this. And she's like, I just need to get out of here, but I, I promised you I was going to finish high school. As soon as I do, I'm out of town. Like, that's what's going to happen. And um, as you know from your book, there was an incident. They get some money and... Um, they all take off but i don't find out what happens until later in the book so finn is now a professional gambler very very um wealthy woman she travels the world she has a business manager named jake who like handles all of her affairs and she's doing it legit because she had spent many years on the run and getting into situations where she got arrested and had to like find a way to get off on charges or just like bad scenes all around so she went legit and um, she's just living her best life being, you know, a shark. So she gets a call from Kel and Kel says, it's time you need to come home. Um, and she explains that Mrs. F had been arrested um, for, <clears throat> uh, on, on, you know, suspicion of murder and that they all need to come home. So she doesn't blink, she doesn't hesitate. She gets on a plane, she heads home to Georgia. And there um, she meets Julia, who is her other sister, and they hug it out and it's beautiful. And then they meet Cal at the airport and Cal explains sort of like, this is what's gone on. I've gotten her off on charges. Um, and then she brings Luke, who is the sheriff with her. And she brings another person named Caleb Matthews. And Caleb Matthews is the assistant DA. Um, and we learn later, Julie, he's also an undercover FBI agent. Ooh, cause Caleb's in my book too. So yeah, he's an undercover FBI agent no and, kid. um, who's investigating, um, his partner's disappearance in Halden. So, um, but Finn, who is an expert at poker and an expert at, at catching tells notices right away that he's not just an assistant DA. He, he looks like he, he behaves in a way that he could be a government employee or something. And so she starts to catch him right away. Um, although I want to tell you that right before um, they pick up Finn and Julia at the airport, Luke proposes to Cal oh. and gives her a black pearl ring and she accepts. Oh. So they can't be married. Um, it's beautiful. Um, so basically, um, because they have this admission that there were three people running away from the warehouse. Uh, Caleb, who is the assistant district, district attorney, as far as anyone knows, um, wants to get the whole story because he, he knows something more is going on. And he, he narrows it down to the fact that it's like, oh, here are these three women. They're all together. Okay. And so because Luke knows some of Kel's story, he knows that she's one of those three women and they decide that they're going to tell Caleb what's going on in exchange for full immunity. So Cal drafts up all the documents and everything. It's like, we'll tell you what happened in exchange for immunity. Um, 
And so that's where it starts. Now they all get into a car and they're driving back to the um, orphanage, the center. And then they notice that there's a car following them. And once they realize that they try to like escape it, but then they start, the other car starts shooting at them. And so, um, Caleb pulls out a gun and then Luke is like driving this car and the girls are down and then, and then, um, Finn's like, do you have another gun? And so she starts shooting out their tires and then the car flips and it's this whole thing. And one of the driver dies and then the other guy lives, but is taken to the hospital where they don't tell him that his partner died because they want to get some answers. Um, Caleb, meanwhile, is convinced that, um, this guy knows what happened to his partner, Eric. He's like, who is he? Who is he? And this name keeps coming up, which is Stark. And Stark, as might have been mentioned in yes, your book, is, it was, is actually... Yeah, it was alluded to, but very vaguely at the end. I was like, qu'est-ce que c'est? Yeah, so Stark is, um, I guess, like an under underground network um, that originally was running um, the warehouse that burnt in the beginning of the story. So because it was a dry county, it was like a gambling den and a bar and a dance hall. Um, and now they run guns and traffic drugs and uh that kind of stuff so um caleb had received a call from his former partner eric who um was the one to kind of figure out that um there was this kind of central hub in halden georgia that was kind of where all the guns and the things were coming from so he went there to investigate and then disappeared but not before he left a message on caleb's phone the day before they were supposed to check in saying like you got to help me. You got to save me. Like they, they're on to me. Something's going to happen. And so Caleb is now racked with guilt and his mission is to find out who killed Eric. So he's questioning this guy who's just been in a car accident. Doesn't get any answers. Other guy goes to the hospital. Meanwhile, Finn is, is like, I, I know you're an agent. Like you need to just like, tell me what the fuck is up. And he's like, don't tell anybody. I'm going to, we'll get there. <clears throat> so they the, the women decide they are going to first tell uh, miss f everything that happened because miss f still doesn't know why they all left home they don't they don't understand so um they get home and they're like hey um this is kind of what happened um they explain i didn't know that clay griffin was somebody who lived at the orphanage yes um, yes he lived at the orphanage and she kicked him out because he uh, tried to rape one of the women in the <gasps> orphanage. Yeah. So like real piece of shit. The worst. Yep. Yeah. So um, what we learn is that he um, <clears throat> was blackmailing her with that information. Um, and so it turns out that Sheriff Graves is the one that killed Clay Griffin. They found his the knife that killed him in his apartment. So um, the sheriff is on the run. He's not the sheriff anymore. Luke is now the full sheriff, um, but this other guy's on the run. Um, and he's on the run because he works for Stark and Stark is not happy um, because right, I guess when I don't, I didn't know about these shots ringing up, but when that happened, um, the sheriff, cornered Kel and was like, you got to save me, Stark. Here, take my ring. They all had these like special signet rings, which the two guys driving the car also had. So they start to piece all these things together that like, okay, these guys belong to Stark. 
and um, you know, there's something big going on here. We got to figure it out. Um, oh my God, so much happens. Uh, but, 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 but lots of tension between Caleb and uh, Finn, like they're really into each other. Um, they find out that what was happening was that Mrs. F got framed because she owns this huge swath of land that's really valuable, which she's the sole um, beneficiary of. But <clears throat> if, she, if she is incapacitated, then the bank can take hold of that asset and control it. Um, and so they think, okay, well, they want it for like logging and stuff. It's just like a lot of money. So, um, Mrs. F then names the three women as the beneficiaries. Um, and that land can't be sold unless all three of them, um, decide to like sign off. So they then tell everybody what happened was there was this guy named Lewis Pippin who ran the joint in 1991 and Finn had become like a regular there learning to gamble. And she brought in a lot of business because she was like this really young woman who was really sexy and she, um, you know, customers came because they wanted to watch her. Um, meanwhile, the sheriff Graves was coming in to collect money from Lewis Pippin to pay like protection money basically to start. And at a certain point, um, Lewis started to trust Finn and would kind of like run his mouth about Stark and about how he like he controlled the police and all of this. And then one day there's a big fight between Graves and Pippin and Graves is like, you need to give us more money. And he's like, not in your life. So he offers um, Finn to um, Graves basically because her mother was a sex worker and her father was a pimp. And he's like, oh, it's a family business. Like we can just, you know, use her for sex work. And she uh, gets put into like this little office where there's a phone. So she calls the cops and they show up and everybody scatters and runs away. She goes home. She tells Kel what happened. This is in 1991. And Kel is like, fuck that noise. So she goes over to the warehouse to kind of hear what's going on. And she finds out um, that there's a huge stash of money and Finn knows where it is. And so she decides we're going to steal this money to get you out of town because Lewis is going to basically abduct Finn to like force her to sex trafficking. So, um, Cal decides to go on her own, but then Julia and Finn follow her to the warehouse. And then what happens is they go to steal the money. They come back out. Julia was on watch and Julia's being held at gunpoint by Lewis Pippin. And then he's like, I'm going to rape her. And then I'm going to rape Cal. And then you're going to watch Finn. And then I'm going to rape you. And she's like, Oh no. So then she takes her fucking money sacks, whacks him in the head. They all run away. He grabs onto Finn's leg and then Cal whacks him over the head with a pipe so hard it crushes his skull and he dies instantly. As they're leaving the warehouse, they knock over some kind of like kerosene or something by accident. And because Lewis had left a cigarette burning, that's what burns down the warehouse. Whoa. Yeah. So that's what happens. And then they swear they're never going to talk about it. But what we find out is actually that Lewis Pippin's body was one of the bodies they discovered in the meth lab burn burning. And so that means that he never died originally that they used his body and then another body in this burning. So they decide, well, we have to find out who this other person is. So they send off these dental records. Meanwhile, um, like the love story in this was really good, but 
the rest of the story was really what held my attention was like the intrigue and all of this stuff. Um, so Caleb and Finn are like constantly like making out and he's always like touching her collarbone and shit. And like, he thinks she's the best woman ever. Um, and she decides that she is the one that can kind of figure out who Stark is, get these answers. So she goes to Caleb and is like, I want to go undercover. I've done it before. Um, you need to let me. And he's like, I don't know. It's really, it's really dangerous. She's like, I can handle myself. Don't worry. So he agrees to let her go undercover. They come up with this plan. Um, and then she goes to tell Mrs. Uh, Faraday that she's going to do this. And Mrs. Faraday says, if you do this and you put your life at risk, you can never come back to the center. You can never come home. And so Finn is devastated and she just kind of like disassociates entirely. Um, and so Caleb takes her out and takes her for this drive. And then she tells him the story about how <clears throat> Mrs. Faraday took her to see her dad in prison once, but that was the only time that she ever went that way. And then he pulls over and she runs into the forest and then they get naked in the forest and they make out, but they don't bang. So that's another thing that happens. Just like your book, like they're constantly getting to that point. They're like, no, we can't. Yeah. Or like someone interrupted or something. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Like, like the doorbell. Yeah, yeah. Um, At one point, like <laughs> both their phones go off and they're like, we should probably get yeah. that. And it's like, I'm breaking the case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So um, basically getting, getting to like, like edging her on basically helped her like ground herself and she's feeling better. Um, they go home back to the center. The sis, the sisters, Kel and Julia are like, just fucking talk to her. Like talk to Faraday. She's miserable. She regrets what she said to you. Like, just talk to her and you can come home. And like, I'm sure that that'll be fine. So then it cuts to Faraday going to visit her friend, uh, Mary majors, who's a judge. She's like this, big deal judge her husband's been in and out of the hospital with like heart issues caleb really likes her because he's a da and like he he thinks she's a really fair judge um and judge majors is like you know oh you know finn is really that um you know rebellious one like just talk to her it'll be okay so she goes home they talk faraday lets her come home and finn's like i'm still gonna go undercover i'm still gonna do this so they come up with this plan that they're gonna go to the bank which is where James Worley works. James, they have figured out is um, like, what is it? Mon money laundering through the bank. Mm -hmm. um, and that he's also connected to Sheriff Graves. And as it turns out, he knows where Graves is. And Graves is trying to like undermine Stark with James. And James is still on the Stark committee. And so is Graves. So they're trying to like go behind Stark's back to like get this land that Finn and the other women have access to. Um, so she goes and she convinces um, James that she wants to like launder money through his bank and he's into it. And then later she's like, um, she finds out that um, Caleb had like, done this thing with his office where they said they were going to uh, raid the bank. So he gives her this fax to bring to James to freak him out, to be like, you better give me a better opportunity to invest my money. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. So he decides to like set up a meeting with graves so that um, they can like talk to her about this land. Um, and then meanwhile, she figures out that there's a doctor at the hospital who is connected to Stark and is like, if you 
bring all of the Stargate members to this meeting and offer me a better deal, I will give it to you. But you have to bring all of the members of Stark. So it's like, okay. So then it cuts to like this meeting of like the Stark people. And we find out it's got like the doctor, it's got James, it's got Graves, it's got this like reporter and this guy who was a politician. But it also has Judge Majors, who is mrs faraday's best friend you're like oh my god she's the like the kingpin of this of this ring um then we find out that the the dental records of this body they found actually belongs to eric caleb's partner he goes into like this grief spiral finn like forces him to let her um help him then she tells him the story about how she came to the center which was like her mother and father like really didn't like her like they didn't love her and then one day her mother got really sick. So she spent the weekend taking care of her mom and they finally connected and like, she fell asleep in her mother's bed with her. Like as her mother was telling a story and her dad came home as the pimp who was mad that she was sick all weekend and didn't work. And then he shot her mother right in front of her Jesus. and then went on the run. Yeah. So she was like upset. She's like, he didn't even care about me enough to shoot me, you know? So it was this whole thing. And then that snaps Caleb out of it. Then they finally fuck. And it's beautiful because the whole time it's from both of their perspectives, but from Kayla's perspective, he's like, you deserve to be cherished and I want to cherish you. And like, I, you know, I want to let you know I'm not going anywhere. And so it's just like this really tender, beautiful moment that's focused on like just cherishment, which I think is lovely. It was so lovely. Yes. yeah so anyway that happens he's better they go to this meeting they've set up a sting um the doctor everybody shows up except whoever the kingpin is they assume that the kingpin's a man they have no idea it's the judge there's a shootout everybody dies um except for uh finn and graves they figure out that graves was the guy who shot uh caleb's partner and then um that's it that's how it ends and then the cliffhanger is that there's still the kingpin out there and they have no idea that it's a woman and they have no idea that it's the judge um so the third book was supposed to cover how they take down judge majors and stark um but and julie but, yeah why yeah. why don't we why don't we know how this ends Renee? I feel, so my book deception is the last book selena montgomery wrote in 2009 and there is no third book in the trilogy so we don't know how it ends i have no idea now again i get it stacy abrams has been busy saving the united states of america she was preserving a democracy she had shit to do but i mean she wrote a psychological thriller that's coming out this year so she could have written a third in the trilogy and what's so funny to me is that like so many of the books we've read for this podcast i won't lie to you renee they could have been part of a trilogy. I could have gave two shits. I never would have read a second book of theirs if you'd paid me. To. Yeah. But I love this book so much. I know. <laughs> I actually want to know I how know. it ends. I know. Me too. And I really wanted to hear Julia's story. And it was just, oh, uh, it was, my book was so great. And I really recommend that you read it because I really had to give you like the cliff notes. And obviously I didn't focus on the romance as much because it was there and it was palpable. But I was so into like the intrigue of this this thriller that I didn't care about the romance. Interesting. Like I still got chills. Like when when they had their moments, I was like, ooh, because it was chills. And I'm gonna tell you what I realized is that um 
every time I read like a sex scene or a potential sex scene, my son shows up out of nowhere. And I'm like, hey, buddy, like, what are you, what are you doing? And it's, it's really awkward because I'm there like blushing. And I'm like, oh. and he's like, hey, like, is there any pizza pockets? So um, that's, that's a thing that I've noticed has been happening. But yeah, the romance was lovely, but the story was so good that I didn't care about the romance and I didn't think about the romance. I was happy it happened. It gave me chills. It was lovely. The love story was great. And they did touch on the love story between Luke and Kel, which I liked as well. Um, but I wanted to see this crime ring take it down more than anything and solve the mystery of everything. Like I didn't even re- reveal all of the, all of the mystery in this thing. I really just go sign into my fucking um, Kindle account and read this book, Julie, because it'll have you on the edge of your seat. I believe it. I believe it. And I really, uh, you know, our point, the purpose of our podcast is not to get people to buy books, but I'm telling you, if you can handle the fact that you don't get a conclusion, if you want like a really good, like it truly is to me, it was like a John Grisham book. Yeah. And like you said, it would absolutely lend itself to, the, the big screen and I think it's really telling that even though romance is the number one selling genre book anywhere in the world at all times um yeah you know they very rarely get adapted for the screen and when they do it's like Nicholas fucking Sparks or some bullshit so I'm hoping that all of the deep love and fanfare for like Bridgerton for example um is like showing that there's an appetite for romance on the big screen mm-hmm. because yeah this book I can also see like Shonda, like Shonda Rhimes, like just destroying, yes. you know what I mean? Like it had like a scandal, um, how to get away with murder kind of vibe yep. where it was like felt like an authentic legal story, but also like there was some sex and some intrigue. So in my case, in terms of spicy, first of all, genital descriptions, there weren't a ton, but I did love how multiple times she referred to her boobs as globes oh mine were mounds oh interesting i was struck by the globes references i'm like oh interesting uh and the rest was like there was no like cock references it was all i think like hard arousal or something like that um in terms of spice i'm giving it four to five because even though they only actually fuck once there it's alluded that they fuck a second time um but there's there's a lot of sexual tension throughout that feels palpable and like the times that they do like steal a kiss it feels like it's hot um they also have an obsession with going to Hervé's which is a French restaurant yes so I'm giving it yeah. four out of five uh, saucis ipsy um because <laughs> <laughs> it was spicy it was a spicy sausage um so yeah I'm gonna give it four out of five which I wouldn't you know yeah considering there wasn't actually that much sex and it wasn't very graphic but the buildup was like, I, I feel like so many other romance authors need to read this and take note of like what sexual yes. tension is. Because uh, it was not cheesy at all. It felt super authentic. And like their banter, I was just like, yeah, yeah, this is like two super smart people flirting with each other and being really slick mm-hmm. about it because they had to be keep it under wraps for a long time. I was like, Stacey yeah. Abrams knows what's up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I loved it. I would give mine five out of five. Um, I don't know if this is a thing, but Georgia peach and chili pepper jelly. I don't know if that's a thing, but it sounds good. Um, Cause yeah, I, it gave me chills. Like I got chills and I, I was flushed. Like it was really, and 
because it was so tender. It wasn't violent. It wasn't crass. And they, they like banged a million times in the one scene that they banged. And it was beautiful every time. And like, he was like, I want you to stay the night, but like, it's not because I want to have sex with you. It's because I want to wake up like seeing you. And I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. And Stacey Abrams did such a great job writing, um, like a poker player and like catching tells like it was so well written. Um, yeah. Oh, I just want to read this quote that I found from her real quick. It says, I revel in having been able to be part of a genre that is read by millions and millions of women in part because it respects who they are. It respects the diversity of our experiences and it creates safe, uh, creates space for broader conversations. And I was like, yes, that's it in a nutshell. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I love, and like, I discovered that Stacey Abrams was a romance writer because of the election, but also because I saw so many romance enthusiasts and romance authors really going to bat for her during the election. And in fact, raising tons of money within the romance community Mm -hmm. to support her campaign to turn Georgia blue. And so it was really, really powerful to see women talking about how Stacey Abrams can be, a brilliant lawyer, a brilliant community organizer, an incredible politician and like steamy romance. And those things don't cancel each other out or it shouldn't be shocking that like intelligent, successful women write books about sex and romance and stuff. Like I just thought it was such a really powerful moment about like, yeah, people can have a diversity of interests. And it says a lot that people are shocked that a woman who this week uh, was put forward as a Nobel Peace Prize nominee could also be someone that enjoys romance because there's still such a stigma attached to earnestly reading romance. So get it, mm-hmm. Selena Montgomery. What are you going to read for us, Renee? Ooh, um, I had so many moments. I'm just going to read the end. Okay. The very end. Um, at this point, Finn kind of got beaten up um by a couple different people and strangled multiple times. And I have big feelings about men who want to have power strangling women in popular media, because that seems to be like the trope they go to quite often. Um, but it's not wrong. It's not wrong. So, um, I'm going to, she's in bed at home. Um, and Caleb has been nervously waiting to talk to her. I'm a good liar. Caleb. She grabbed his wrist, stilling his gentle touch. Her brain couldn't function when he unraveled her like that. Will you head back to Washington? I assume since your cover's been blown, you're out of a job at the Halden DA's office. The DA called. He wants to see me in his office tomorrow. I doubt it's for hugs and kisses. Obviously, he hasn't sampled them. Luckily, I've got a day job. The FBI in Washington. You planning to head home soon to Washington? Caleb shrugged. Depends on what Chief Benton says. She's a fool if she loses you. Only a fool will turn away a man as brilliant, as passionate, and committed as you are. A man whose loyalty survives the worst of tests, even death. She brought his hands to her lips, saying her goodbyes. You're the best man I've ever known, Caleb. And if you need me to tell her that, just drop me a line. He brought his face to hers, eyes solid and bright. I nearly lost you tonight. You saved my life. After the car crash, I'd say that makes us even. I helped with that, so I'm still up one. Leaning away, he reached into his back pocket. You owe me. Then he dropped a deck of cards into her hands. Finn looked up, confused. What's this? A gamble. Shuffle. Automatically, her hands removed the cards and mixed them with a flourish, but her hands trembled and she scattered the cards. Caleb helped gather those that had fallen and she tried again. After a fourth pass, she handed them to him for a cut. Here. 
Caleb sliced the cards and restacked them, his heart bumping in his chest. Earlier, he'd made a botch of this. Deal. Any particular game, she asked quietly. Don't bet unless you know the game. You pick. Five card draw, she dealt the cards, asking, what's your ante? He tipped her eyes up to his, his future hanging in the balance. My heart. And if that isn't enough, I'll throw in the rest of my life. Startled, she let the cards flutter down. Her nimble fingers useless. That's a huge risk. You're putting a lot on the table. But think about what I could win. Cradling her damaged cheek, he explained. A woman who is smarter and more courageous than anyone I've ever known. You've devoted, uh, you're devoted to what you believe in, who you believe in. Until you, I didn't realize how sexy sarcasm could be. And this face, this beautiful, fabulous face. You're willing to do what has to be done for those you love. And I will give anything to be one of those people. Hope kindled, roared into a flame, but Finn held her ace. I tried to tell you today, but you didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear you tell me no. The admission was simple, eloquent. I love you, Finn. Finn steeled herself, taking her biggest gamble, and I love you. If love means trusting a person with your life and believing your heart will be safe in his hands, and I've never loved another. Dazed by the tide of love flooding through him, he drew her to him, kissing her as he would for the rest of their lives. When they finally surfaced, he murmured against her lips, turn the cards over, Finn. She did, and a wash of red stared up at her. These are queens of hearts, all of them, she gasped, thinking of how many decks had to be lying around. Lifting her eyes to him, she glared lovingly. You cheated. Caleb shrugged. Anything for you. That's the end of my book. Oh, I love it. Oof. I love it. I like cried a couple times reading this book. It was so beautiful. So, Well, I'm going to read you what? the lead up to the first time they really do bang. Mm, let's do it. I'm ready. So this is near the end of the book. They have kind of reached a bit of a truce where, you know, Luke is the sheriff. He has to do a proper investigation. But in his heart of hearts, he knows Mrs. F did not kill this shady guy. And Cal is, has a little bit more intel than she's letting on because of client privileges but also because she doesn't know yet fully if she can trust luke so they end up going on a bit of a little expedition just the two of them to try to go find this warehouse to see if they can find more information um related to clay's murder um and they are out there and then it starts to rain and that's where our story begins oh my god outside slate gray clouds dimmed the endless sunlight as they picked their way across the clearing, a fat drop landed on Kel's nose, followed quickly by a steady torrent that chased them to the shelter of the truck. Luke boosted her into the dry interior, water sleeting in a summer shower. He ran around the bonnet to climb inside, his t-shirt plastered to his chest. With quick motions, he started the truck and fired the heater. You okay over there, he asked, scrubbing at the rain on his face using the bottom of his shirt. Mm-hmm. Cal murmured, captivated. Hardened muscle rippled across his exposed skin, flattening into an abdomen that st stuttered her pulse. Rain glistened on firmly molded arms, beaded on closely cropped hair, and luxurious eyelashes that enhanced masculinity rather than weakened it. Abruptly, she became aware of the ebony eyes watching her appraisal. A slow grin curved the chiseled mouth, throwing the planes of his face into beautiful relief. Come here. Why? He held at his hand, palm upward. The low, gravelly voice with his sensual draw repeated the summons. Come here, Kel. Mind blank, heartbeat racing. She made one last effort at fending off the inevitable. This will only drag you deeper. I've already gone under. 
Knowing her choice was made, she slid across the leather bench, laced her fingers with his. I want you terribly. Luke slipped his hand beneath the wet fall of hair, raked his fingers through the strands. Carefully, he drew his thumb across her brow, along the high line of her cheek. At her mouth, he brushed at droplets that clung to the ripe curves. You entrance me. Oh? Oh, he repeated. This face stuns me every time. I think I'm prepared for it. Then you look at me and I forget my name for an instant. Every time. Luke. He skimmed his free hand along the soaked t-shirt lingering at the dip of her waist, the taut globes that shuddered beneath the thin material. Then there's this body, long, endless legs, and those heels designed to break a man's will. And none of it prepares you for the smarts behind those doe eyes or the heart. He covered her breast lightly, or the heart that tries to hold it too much. Luke, she Ugh. said his name again urgently. Yes, Kel? Drive. Oh! Go back to his house and get busy. And then she's like frantic, basically. And he's just like, we got all the time in the world, baby. And she's like, I, I, something about like, when I want something, I want it. So then they bang like three times in a row. Ew, ew, very pleasure based, very consensual. No discussion of um, any kind of protection of any kind, but very consensual, very pleasure based. Everyone is very into it. And that is Reckless by Selena Ugh. Montgomery, the first in a three part trilogy. The third part is this going to be like the fucking Game of Thrones guy where we're going to have to like go oh. after. <laughs> We're gonna have to badger Selena Montgomery to write a third. I need to know what happens, Julia. Yeah. Ravage love listeners. We're gonna start a letter writing campaign to Selena Montgomery, aka Stacey Abrams, um, to get this third book. We need it. We gotta read we it. We need it. It's gotta. We happen. could have a parallel process: one petition for her to get the Nobel Prize, the other for her to write the third book. Yeah. Like she clearly is a multi-talented multitasker, so I think she can yeah. do it. But. I think she can. Truly, she has a total of eight books that go beyond this trilogy. So really encourage folks to pick them up because they are legit amazing. To the point where I think if you have been listening to our pod or, you know, maybe the pandemic's got you exploring different hobbies and interests and you want to kind of dip your toe in the genre, I think this is a great place to start. If you love mm -hmm. criminal procedural shows or, like I said, like Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, um... Any of those kind of, like, it's John Grisham movies. Like, if that's your jam, oof, you're going to love these books. Mm -hmm. They're so good. So good. Thank you, Selena so Montgomery. Good. Thank you for everything oh, that you do. We salute you. A true patriot, if you will. A true patriot. Mm -hmm. So nice to chat with you wow. again, Renee. Oh, my God. I'm so happy we're back. Back for season three. Together again. Together again. Whole month of February, we're reading books by Black authors. We have so many other books lined up for the rest of the season. But again, as we always say, slide into our DMs. Send us a message on Instagram, Twitter, through our, through our email. Like, let us know if there's a specific theme that you want us to explore. People routinely tag us in, like, wackadoodle Kindle stories. We're here for it. Keep tagging us. We want to hear your ideas, <laughs> big and small. <laughs> we love to hear from you. We love it. Oh, Julie, I'm ready. I'm ready. Can you sing us out? Um, sure can. Ravage love. Ravage love. Oh, bye. Bye. Artwork for the podcast was created by Karen McKnight. 
Special thanks to Press Start to Join for production assistance. For gaming and tech news, search Press Start to Join or on social media at PS, the number two, J Show. Connect with us online at Ravage Love on Instagram and by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.